Turn with me, please. Joshua. Oh, my gosh. Joshua, chapters, uh, what we got? Chapters 18 and 19. I know we're flying through these uh, chapters, but bottom line is every commentator that I read tells us that this is just a division of the land. We are watching the land being divided up from tribe to tribe, and actually there is a lot to learn even in the division of the land from tribe to tribe because if you recall, we've said over and over again, that Joshua is a representation of what's going on in the book of Ephesians for us in the New Testament. And so we can learn a lot. Oh, my goodness, can we learn a lot from Caleb? I have fallen in love with Caleb. Caleb is one of my new heroes now. I can't wait to see him. You know, a man that's 85 years old can say under the, uh, under the power of the Holy Spirit that he is just as vital, just as strong as he is today as he was 40 years ago. That gave me hope. I want to be like that man. And so his, his reasoning, what we saw that made him a man like this, is that he said, to, he said to us a couple of times, I have fully decided to follow the Lord my God. I will follow Him fully. And so why not us? we got the same ability. We're human beings just like Caleb. We can do the same thing he does. We can choose to follow the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, with all of our minds. We can do that. And so we're learning from these people in the book of Joshua, just like it was, it'll say in the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, it says, You and I have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing. And so, as we saw last week in chapters 16 and 17, two, two tribes... Ephraim and Manasseh, they both complained. They both, number one, let's refresh our memory just a little bit. Turn back to chapter 16. You're right there, verse 10, the last verse. It says, they did not drive out the Canaanites. This is the, the tribe of Ephraim. Ephraim. They did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. So the Canaanites lived in the midst of Ephraim to this day. They became forced laborers. Well, we learned last week, if you were here out of the book of Deuteronomy, that there was not supposed to be forced labors to this, this group of people. The Lord God said, for those who are far out in the distance, those foreigners who you go and you want to uh, do battle against, who live far out, first offer them peace. If they accept it, then they can become forced laborers for you. They can work for you. They can be a part of what you do in that area. But, he says, when you come to the land that is right nearby, in other words, the promised land, when you get into the promised land, you're to drive those people out. They are not to be a part of you. And we learned from the book of Deuteronomy why. God said, because I do not want them to infiltrate your society, your young people, or your hearts with their philosophy, if you would, of the false gods that they have chosen to follow. Since they won't follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, our only God, and they follow after false gods, I want them driven out, driven out from amongst you so that they will not infiltrate you with their traditions and their philosophy of religion. And so we saw Ephraim said that they didn't drive them out, neither did Manasseh. If you take a look, in, um, it says in, in verse 12 of chapter 17, the sons of Manasseh could not take possession of these cities because the Canaanites persisted to live in that land. And they didn't, verse 13, it came out when the sons of Israel became strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor. They shouldn't have done that. And it didn't drive them out completely. 
And then they go to Joshua and they say, of all things we learned last week, we need more land. And Joshua says to them, you know, they call themselves a great nation. You're so great, then clear out the forests. Cut down the trees. You have more land than you'll ever need. Use the land that you have. Just go out and possess it and drive out the Canaanites. They're they're taking up your property. And so we see them complain. When we left off last week, Ephraim and Manasseh were, were, were concerning their God-given inheritance, the land. They wanted more, and they wouldn't drive out the enemy. In yours and my relationship, you want more blessings? There are, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You've got it all. It is right there at your fingertips. You have to, just like they had to, you have to drive out the enemy. In our case, the enemy could be laziness, could be sin, could be disobedience, could be a lot of different things. We have to drive out that enemy so that we can possess all that our Lord God has given us. And when you start to experience all that the Lord God has given you, oh my gosh, folks. You'll, you'll, you'll come to a place, I promise you, I promise you, you'll come to a place you'll say, enough, Lord, right now. I, I've, that's so much blessing. I don't know that I can handle anymore. You'll, you'll just feel like you're going to burst with the blessings that He pours out upon you. But it takes work. It doesn't come just because you're a Christian. It doesn't come just because you say, I want it. You have to work at it. It has to be a part of your life. So as Joshua said to Ephraim and to Manasseh, you've got it. Just go out and possess it. What we see in chapter 18 in verse 3 is the same problem. There are seven more tribes that need the land divided up so that they can have their portion of the promised land. And in these seven tribes, we see from verse 3, chapter 18, not much has changed from Ephraim and Manasseh. Now Joshua is saying, look at verse 3. So Joshua said to the sons of Israel, that's the remaining members of the tribes and anyone else who didn't take possession of the land. He said to them, watch, verse 3. How long will you put off entering to take possession of the land? Which, note, he reminds them, which the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you. He has already given them the land. He has already given them victory. It is theirs. They have, to take, they have to take possession of it. They have to, to be a part of taking in the land. Put them aside for a moment. Let's talk about you and me. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. In Christ Jesus. They're there at your fingertip. Why don't you have it? Me too. Why don't we have it? We need to go and take possession of what is rightfully ours, our inheritance in Christ. But it's going to take battle. It's going to take an effort. It's going to take time. You're going to want to have it so that you can, you can be blessed beyond your wildest dreams and so that we can pass along to the next generation the wonders of the the Christ that we know and that we love, and the blessings that we receive so mightily. Now, practically speaking, God is saying what He is saying to Joshua, to you and me. He is saying, as He said in, first, uh, in, in 
in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, I have blessed you with every single spiritual blessing. So the question is, why haven't we taken possession of all of our blessings and our inheritance? Well, it takes work. It doesn't come automatically. The years of fighting for, for Israel now, we have been reported, is over with in Joshua. There are still battles to be done for them to take possession of the territory that they own, but the, the fighting is over. The Jordan River now has been crossed. The land has been conquered. And so the rest of chapter 18 and 19 tells us how the land was divided to the remaining seven tribes. There's a tribe of Benjamin that didn't get their land yet. The, sign of the, the, the tribe of Simeon, the tribe of Zebulun, the tribe of Ishakar the tribe of Asher, the tribe of Naphtali. Naphtali, Pastor Bill said that's close enough. And Dan. I could do Dan. Why aren't they all Tom, Bill, Frank, Dan? (laughs) And what we're going to see is true to the leadership. I mean good godly leadership. Joshua comes to take his land last. And he, like his partner, if you would, Caleb, takes the most treacherous land. He takes the mountainous land. He takes the land to show the other, in my opinion, this is my opinion, it's not written in here, but to show the other tribes how it's done. That you don't have to have an easy set of land. You can deal with the mountainous regions just like Caleb. You can drive out the enemy and you can make that land livable. I want you to read with me chapter 19, verses 49 to 51, and we'll pray and we'll get into this message. If you can already tell, I'm a little pumped up. (laughs) I really love this place in Scripture. As a matter of fact, before I read that, I was studying this week, and and I, I came, someone gave me this book. It's called the Victorious Christian Living uh, Studies in the Book of Joshua. It's, it's been written by Alan Redpath. It's, I believe, out of print. Um, and, and I've been studying through it as I've been studying through this place and as we've been going through Joshua. And I'm going to do something that I don't think I've ever done before in the pulpit. And I'm going to read to you out of this book a little bit at the end. Because no matter how I would try to bend it and say it in my own words, it just doesn't come out right. This guy is something else. I also can't wait to meet him someday. Um, But I will read to you out of this when it comes to proper time. But this is all about you and me taking possession of what is rightfully ours and learning how to live with our blessings. Now listen, if I don't get around to it enough, It's not that difficult, folks. It's not brain surgery. It's it's an attitude of trust in God. It's an attitude of trusting His Word. It's It's a desire to get to know what's written in these pages more than anything else on the face of this earth. This must be our driving force. This is why we beg of you to... Read through the Bible this year with us. Read daily through the Word of God. Allow the Word of God to saturate your, 
your, your most innermost being, and you will find that you will learn truths that you never knew that you could acquire. And you'll understand what it means to be victoriously living with the blessings that God has given you. Now, let's read verses 49, 50, and 51. And we see that Joshua took his inheritance last. When they had finished apportioning the land for inheritance by its borders, the sons of Israel gave an inheritance in their midst to Joshua, the son of Nun. They gave it to him in verse 50 in accordance with the command of the Lord. They gave him, Joshua, the city for which he asked, just, by the way, forgive me, but just as Caleb asked, he asked for Timnah Sirah in the hill country of Ephraim. And so he built the city and he settled in it. These are the inheritances which Eleazar, the priest, and Joshua, the son of Nun, and the heads of the household of the tribes of the sons of Israel distributed by Lot in Shiloh before the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting. And so they finished dividing the land. You know what's really interesting about that before I do pray with you is that the, the historian of that time was a man called G, Josephus. Josephus writes in his account of this that the, the people that divided the land were, were just brilliant. They divided the land perfectly. They had no equipment like we do today. They, don't ha- they didn't have uh, um, the understanding of, of how to take land and divide it. They just saw it and they divided it up. They, they understood uh, geometry. They understood the, uh, dealing with figures far greater than, than you could even imagine. So Josephus says it was amazing how they divided that land from tribe to tribe. Each person was given a portion. And we're going to talk about that in a moment itself. But first, let's do pray. Father, we sang a song a little while ago about how how great you are. And Father, we can only echo what was in that song. We sang hallelujah. Hallelujah. How great is our God. You are a wonderful and gracious Father. Lord, would you do us a privilege today? Would you take us in the midst of this um, time that we have given to you this morning in this service? And would you actually just take over our, our hearts, take over this service? Let us see you, Father, as perhaps never before. Would you, as the Bible says in Psalms 119, would you open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things from your law? Would you teach us, Father? I beg of you, please, move me aside. Um, The speaker is irrelevant. The issue is the Word of God that we've read from, your words, the words that you've given us concerning your servants, Joshua and Caleb, that we would learn from them rather than Ephraim and Manasseh, that we would really take possession of the inheritances, the blessings that you have so graciously given to us, like them, like Caleb, we would 
remain strong even as we grow older that we would fully follow you all the days of our lives and so Lord open up our eyes let us hear from you see what you have to say use that still small and silent voice quiet voice I should say Father that lurks and lives within each of us. Let us hear from you, we pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Chapters 18 and 19 reveal that God not only gave Israel their land, the land in Canaan, just as He had promised them, but He gave each of them a particular area, a particular portion, a particular plot of land for each member of the tribe. You know, let's, let's, let's talk about you and me today. Look with me, please, at Matthew chapter 6. The great, great, great Sermon on the Mount where Jesus Christ gives the greatest message, the greatest preacher that ever lived, our Lord, giving the greatest message that ever could be given. And he says in Matthew chapter 6, if you'll look with me, how, how important each of us are. That he's concerned about your life. He's concerned about what you and I become. He's concerned about every facet of our lives. In Matthew chapter 6, let's start with verse 25. He says, Jesus is speaking, For this reason I say to you, don't be anxious for your life as to what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink, nor for your body as what you shall put on. Is not life, he asks, more than food and the body more than clothing? And so he gives us an example. He says, look at verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't gather into barns. And yet, he says, your heavenly Father feeds them. And then he asks a rhetorical question. He asks a question that is automatically answered, of course. He says, is not your worth much more than them? Of course it is. Our worth is much more than them. So he goes on to say, then which of you, verse 27, being anxious can add a single cubit to your lifespan? Why are you anxious about clothing? Look, he says, observe how the lilies of the field grow. They don't toil. They don't spin. Yet, he says in verse 29, I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory didn't clothe himself like one of these. And if God, verse 30, so arrays the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is going to be thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do so for you, O folks of little faith? Don't be anxious then, saying, what are you going to eat? What are you going to drink? What are we going to clothe ourselves with? In verse 32, he says, for all of these things, the Gentiles, that means the non-believers, non-believers eagerly seek. Your Heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. And so he says, here's what you do. Probably one of the greatest verses in all of Scripture. Seek first. Seek first His kingdom. Seek first His righteousness. And these things, these things that that are mentioned here, these things will be added unto you. 
So don't be anxious, he says in verse 34, for tomorrow, tomorrow will care for itself. What a great verse. Each day has enough troubles of its own. Is that not an amen? I mean, come on, please. What are we worried about tomorrow for? We've got enough trouble right here today. Let's deal with today. And how we'll deal with today and whatever it is that we're going through is to seek first His kingdom. Seek first His righteousness. And all those other things will be added unto you. You're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. God knows that you're going through whatever it is that you're going through. Just continue to seek Him and His kingdom first. That's the key. That is the key. And so, as we see back, please, in Joshua chapters 18 and 19, since that is the truth, what we read in Matthew 6, since that is the truth, that we are of great value to the Lord our God, then we're going to learn a great truth from this place in Scripture. If we watch this section, Joshua, closely and and get our minds off of the killing and the bloodbath and all of the people that are, are, are utterly destroyed and we see what is really taking place when we see men like Caleb jump up right before our eyes and says, I am as strong today as I was 40 years ago. Ago, Give me that land with all the giants and it's mountainous and I'll, I'll see if I can't run them out of there. And sure enough, he does. Or we could be like Manasseh who says, I am great. We are a great people. Give us more land. And then Joshua has to say to him, you're so great? Then go and run the people out of there. Take the land that has been given to you. What we do know from here in Joshua is the inheritance is theirs, just as the inheritance is ours. The years of fighting in Canaan is over with. Our battle for our eternal soul is over with. It's been won. It has been won and been promised at the cross. When Jesus Christ died and shed His blood, He shed it for all of us, the whole world. And when He died and rose from the dead, He said that He has now given you and me everlasting eternal life if we trust and believe in Him. And so the years of fighting is over with. Israel crossed Jordan. They defeated their enemy and they divided up the land. It is now all theirs. But, but folks, here's the rub in your life, in my life, as it is in their lives. We're going to see it from them. They don't possess all the land Because they defeated the enemy, true. They divided up the land, true. But it all proved to be worthless unless they learned how to live in the land. That's what you and I have to do. There are people out here as believers in Jesus Christ who have all the blessings that anyone could ever hope for and we, we walk around like we're paupers. We're like the most wealthiest of people on the face of this earth and we... We have all the blessings that we'll ever need and we walk around like we don't have anything, like we're eating scraps off the floor. Like, oh, you know, I wish there was some bread here. I could just have a little bit when in fact we have a banquet standing before us in the blessings that we have. What we have to do is the same thing they have to do. They had to learn to trust God at His Word and to live in the land. You see, the most important part of our inheritance. Let's talk about you and me. We're studying about Joshua, but let's, let's talk about us. 
the most important, important part of our inheritance, our blessings, is to learn to live with them. Joshua said in chapter 18, verse 3, look back at it. He said to the sons of Israel, How long? How long are you going to put off entering to take possession of the land, which was their inheritances, their blessings? He is saying, God is saying that to you and me today. How long are you going to put off entering into the blessings that I have given to you? And then Joshua reminds them, as I'm trying to remind you, he says at the end of verse 3, the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you the land. It's yours. What is holding them back? It is trust. Trusting God at His Word. What is holding you and me back? It's trust. Trusting God at His Word. They have, learned to, they have to learn to live with their inheritance, and so do you and me. What was true of the children of Israel is just as true for you and me today, and it doesn't come to you on a silver platter. You've got to work for it. Let me tell you something. As you and I study Scripture, our lives have not been meant to be lived from one crisis to the next crisis, from one emotional trial to the next emotional trial. No, our lives was meant to be lived as an ongoing triumphal march towards the goal, the upward prize, the upward call of the prize that we have in Christ Jesus. And the goal is for you and me to walk triumphantly with Christ daily regardless of our circumstances. Now, stop, stop. I am not naive. I'm not a Pollyanna. I see everything is half empty. My wife sees everything is half full. So I'm not saying to you, this is, this is simple to do. No, it's easy to say. It's tough to live. And I am as just as guilty as the next person. I'm like that. One of my favorite, favorite singers of all times is Billie Holiday. You probably don't know her. She's been dead for quite some time. But she sang this song that is perfect for me. It's, Good morning, heartache. Where you've been this long? I don't know the words. But, she's, but it's like, and I can't sing. But it's, you know what she's like? She's like me. I wake up every morning and I say, now where are my burdens? Oh, yeah, I remember. I got to do, oh, I can't. Oh, put it on my back. And I drag through the day carrying my trials. When God says, give them to me. Give them to me, John. I'll carry them for you. That's why I lived. I've come to live and I died to carry your burdens and I say, uh, yeah, I don't know if you'll handle this one. This is pretty big. Let me take it, you know. And I and I muddle through until I get into the Word of God. Until I remind myself how much He loves me, and how much He will care for me. And oh, you of little faith, do you not know that your Father knows that you need these things? I'm not naive. I'm not saying that this is well, this is what you got to do, because I'm saying this is what we all have got to learn. We've got to learn how to live triumphantly in the land, in the inheritance, in the blessings that God has so graciously given to us. Now, like Israel, there are going to be trials in the process, and here's one of the problems: we have been taught. We, meaning collective Christianity today, is getting the message to say that it's. It's not easy. It's not difficult out there. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. 
Your trials will be over with. Life will be hunky-dory. It's a bed of roses. Please come to Christ. Now, who in, where in the world did it ever say that? Where is the myth of that easy believism written within the pages of Scripture? And how have we come to believe in that? Well, I'll tell you how. By a lot of misinformed preachers who have led people astray to believe this lie that the life that you and I live here on this earth is going to be easy and simple. No, there will be trials. Now, why do they teach this? Who knows? Who knows? Perhaps they just hope. Hope it will be so, so they don't have to go through the trials, or more than likely, they preach these things so that to tickle the ears of those who come to listen to them, so that hopefully they'll tell them how good and how nice they are and how wonderful it is to walk with Christ, and with enough faith you can have all of these blessings, so that their people will return next week in the hopes to have what that preacher has. And their numbers will grow. More than likely, that's the reason. But the truth is the truth. And the truth is that you and I will have to go through these difficulties. Just like the people in the day of of Joshua, so you and I will have to go in and possess the land. And it will be a daily fight. It doesn't happen, okay, they're all gone, we're done now. No, it will happen every single day. But here's the promises of God. I want you to turn here. Please turn with me to John Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, New Testament. John chapter 6. We're going to take a look at uh, one, two, three, four places in John. We're going to look at uh, John, is it chapter 5? It is John chapter 5. Then John chapter 6. Then John chapter 10. And then John chapter 11. Listen to this truth. This truth is overwhelming. In John chapter 5, read with me verse 24. Jesus is speaking. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the person who hears my word and believes in him who has sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but he has passed or she has passed out of death into life. Look at chapter 6 and verse 35. They were trying to get him to say, are you really the Messiah? Now, which he has told them over and over again. And so in chapter 6, starting with verse 35, Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life, and the person who comes to me shall not hunger, and the one who believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you, you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. Verse 37, he says, All that the Father gives to me shall come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. He says in verse 38, Because I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that all that He has given me I lose nothing, but will raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father. That everyone, everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him may have eternal life. And I myself, Jesus says, will raise them up on the last day. Turn to chapter 10, please. Listen to His words now. 
as again they're asking him, are you really the Messiah? Tell us plainly. And so he says in John chapter 10, verse 22, at that time the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. The Jews therefore gathered around him and they kept saying to him, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Let us know. Jesus answered to them and he says, I have told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these bear, these bear witness of me, but you don't believe because you are not my sheep. He says in verse 27, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they shall never, never, never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand and he says in verse 29, My Father, who is greater than, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And then he says in verse 30, 30 I and my Father are one. This is answering the question they asked him up there in verse 24. I and my Father are one. And so it says in verse 31, the Jews therefore took up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered and looked at them and said to them, Look, I showed you many good works from the Father. From which one of them are you going to stone me? And they say, listen folks, for people to say that Jesus Christ never said that he was God, a very God who walked this earth. Who, he has never said that he is Messiah. Look, those that were there alongside of him and understood what he was saying, knew what he was saying, answered and said this in verse uh, 33. The Jews answered and said, Oh, for good works, we're not going to stone you. We're going to stone you for blasphemy because you, being a man, have made yourself out to be God. Jesus Christ says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And I myself will personally take you to heaven and I will lose not a one of you. And then in chapter 11, one of the great places in Scripture, uh, Lazarus died and his two sisters were begging for Jesus Christ to come to their village. And he came after Lazarus had been dead four days. And if you look at verse 21, Martha came up to Jesus Christ. And Lord, she says, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. You talk about faith. She knew that he could, he could stop, stop sickness and, and make him well. And she said, even now I know that whatever you ask of God, he'll do for you. He'll give you. Jesus said to her, your brother shall rise again. And Martha says, yeah, I know, I know, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, Martha, I am the resurrection. I am the life. And, and everyone who believes in me shall live even if they die. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this, he said to her? He's saying the same thing to you and me, you know. The answer to that question about the resurrection and the life is not changed. He says to you and me, if we believe in Him, we will never die. Do you believe that? God bless Martha. She said to Him in verse 27, Yes, Lord, I believe that You are the Christ, the Son of God. You are the one, you are the one who has come into this world. Nevertheless, with those wonderful promises in, in John chapter 5, John chapter 6, John chapter 10, John chapter 11, we, with all of that assurance of our faith, faith of our eternal security 
we like Israel can move out of the promised land. In other words, we can move away from our walk with Jesus Christ. We can move back into the wilderness like, like they wanted to do. We can move back into disobedience and sin. But Joshua is trying to warn us not to do that. He's saying, look at Caleb, look at, look at myself. Watch, watch what we've done. You can have the same blessings in your life this day. You have an inheritance that has been given to you by God. And some of the lessons that we've learned in this great book of Joshua was the importance of our lifelong walk with Jesus Christ. As I've said to you over and over again, I want you and me to finish strong. I don't care how you've come to Christ. What I do care about is how you and I finish this walk that we have with Jesus Christ. And as we saw, Caleb kept his strength, even in his advanced years, because he followed the Lord his God. How, how do we live successfully in the land? Well, I tell you, it's reading the Bible and being obedient to what you read out of here. Now listen to words that I could never have written, nor could I have ever come up with so wonderfully as what Alan Redpath has, has written in this book. Please bear with me and listen as closely as possible. He says to you and me, my dear Christian friends, there is an experience of Jesus Christ for us to share in His victory an experience of the fullness of His blessings that is far beyond the level of any average Christian life. There is a special little bit of land, he says, which for me is, brings forth many precious memories, he writes. It's an area of about 80 miles south of the English-Scottish border. He says you can go there and walk over the ruins of what is called Hadrian's Wall. If you go around the districts, he says, you'll find many old and ancient towers, some of them in complete ruin, others of them still beautifully preserved as almost as they, when they were first built. And he says, if you were to ask, why is it that some of them are in ruins and some of them are in good conditions, you would be told this story by the people in that land. They would tell you several hundred years ago, England and Scotland were bitter enemies. The Scots came in and carried away the cattle of the English and stole their crops. Therefore, the English decided to build castles near the borders to defend themselves. He says that some of those castles had secret springs that provided a constant flow of water. Other castles did not have that privilege. They had to receive their water supply through a pipeline from a well many hundreds of yards away. He says the Scottish invasion, invaders were astute enough to know what to do. They would go to those castles and they would cut the pipeline. And then they would sit around the fortress and wait until the people inside died of starvation and thirst. But those who had the secret spring in their castle, they were invincible. So those castles stand until this day as a reminder of their invincibility. The other castles, they lie in ruin. He writes, every single one of us who have believed in Jesus Christ have within us a fountain of life. But there are Christians, I'm going to add my word, far too many of us who have not discovered it yet. 
Many are always going outside of themselves, out of side for amusement, outside for ease, outside for luxury, outside for indulgences. And before long, their Christian life stands in utter ruins. But there are other Christians, other children of God, who have learned that the only way of possessing the land and holding on to the grace, the inheritance, the blessings which God in Christ has given them is to draw continuous, continuously from that inner secret fountain of life that each of us possess. They can say with all of their hearts, Jesus Christ satisfies. The trouble is, he writes, that too many of us shrink away from pressing into that land, that land of blessing, because we know it means self-denial. We know it means sacrifice to some pet habit or some pet sin. It means that our love of ease, our attachment to this world, and our dread of being thought peculiar by other people will move us towards that outer fountain. He says, how easily does the child of God rest satisfied with past achievements? What a tragedy that becomes. Not only a tragedy for ourselves, but it hinders other people and it encourages Satan. In other words, we can't pass along to the next generation what God has given us if we lie there in ruin, if we don't live with this inner spring that lives within us. He says no Christian is going to win the race if he stops to take a breather. This guy's he's, he's all out. No one will win the war if on the very verge of victory he asks for a furlough. No child of God can afford to take one minute's vacation from walking with Jesus Christ. How, how sad, he writes, is that so many of us have the prize right at our fingertips, the goal right at hand, only to discover that we've come short. The victory could have been ours, but we moved away from that inner spring that lives within us. He goes on to say, How long has it been, Christian, since you went to church on a Sunday morning and expected God to bless you beyond your wildest dreams? There's a little bit more. That's really enough. The hope that lives within you and me is the greatest hope that has ever been given to mankind. It's far greater than all the money, all the jewels, all the possessions that anyone can have. This privilege that you and I have been given just because of a faith in Jesus Christ and a trusting of what He did at the cross, the blood that He shed for our sins, it has given you and me an inheritance that is beyond anything we have ever dreamed or hoped for. And the problem is, is that so many of us are living like paupers. And what we've neglected to realize because we've been taught otherwise other places is that you have, you, what we've neglected to realize is you have to fight to get it. It's not easy. It's really not. Being a Christian is difficult. It is going to get more difficult. Let me tell you that bad news. People are going to mock us even more. There will be movies made about there is no God. There will be all sorts of things that are going to come our way. What are you willing to stand for? What are you willing to do for the cause of Christ? Later on, Joshua is going to say these words. He said, choose, choose for yourself today. Who will you serve? What? But me and 
my house. Why? We're going to serve the Lord. That's a choice that everyone... That's, that's, we can close up the book of Joshua now. That's it. That's where it's going to come to. That's the climax of this great book. Choose. It's a matter of trust in God's Word, in His promises. And it's a matter of choice. Father, I pray your encouragement upon each of us. I pray that we would learn to live in the inheritance, the blessings that we've received. That we would incorporate every single one of them into our lives. But Jesus Christ said in that wonderful sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, He said, you need to first seek my kingdom. You need to first seek my righteousness. I'll add everything else to you. You need to come to me first. May we do that, Father. May we be a people who see the importance of putting you first. Everything else, Father, shall be added once we do that. Bless us, Father, as we go from here. Thank you so much for this day. I pray your blessings upon every single one of us, Father. In Jesus' most precious name, amen. I love you all so much. I love you more than I can put into words. Have a great, great week. I will see you next Sunday.